In this episode of Fictional Hangover, we talk about eyelash manipulation, French accents, petticoat experiments, and being a young lady of quality. In our discussion of Etiquette and Espionage by Gail Carriger. <laughs> With bumpers. With bumpers. <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to Fictional Hangover, a podcast about young adult and new adult books, series, authors, and voice actors that is full of spoilers. I'm Amanda, and this is Bumbersnoot. Bumbersnoot! Yay, Bumbersnoot is here today. (laughs) It's always nice to have a guest. (laughs) And I'm Claire, and today we're going to discuss Etiquette and Espionage by Gail Carragher. Which is why Bumbersnoot is here. Hooray! Yay! <laughs> Standard disclaimer. If you haven't read this book, what is wrong Where with you? Been? Where have you been? Where have you been? <laughs> Please remember that Fictional Hangover is all about spoilers. If you haven't read or listened and don't want to be spoiled, stop listening to us and go read or listen to the book, especially listen to the book. Then come back. If you haven't done this but want to pretend that you have, or if you don't care about spoilers, or if you... lose your voice in the middle of that or if you just like the show so much that you don't care about any of that then listen up yay yay (laughs) yay it's claire's birthday episode hooray yay we're being excessively british we are we are being so excessively british 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 sorry (laughs) British. And let's see. We've got Bumbersnoot here, and he is wearing his birthday hat. Yes. And we are dressed very fancily, so everyone make sure you go and join our bonus tier so you can see our fancy outfits. We are ladies of quality. 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 Yep. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. I'm so excited for your birthday episode, Claire. So am I, because I love this book. But we have background information. We have multiple, probably, for this. Really. We do, we do. But because <laughs> because this is an excessively British episode, I chose some background <laughs> info from Gail Carriger's website, which is fantastic, gailcarriger.com. There's so much fun stuff on there. And um, I just want to say that I am featured multiple times on her website. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And Twitter and Instagram and And, Facebook. And Pinterest, too. Yes. I forget Pinterest exists. Me, too. We used to keep up our Pinterest, or you did, because I don't give one fuck about pinterest but <laughs> once a year i'll go oh pinterest exists oh, and then spend yep. about three years updating it yeah so i found some great things on her website from the never ending interview page which is also fantastic but there is a question will those who don't get British humor <laughs> understand the jokes and references <laughs> I noticed you said humor without the U I did say humor without the U humor <laughs> uh, so her response to that question is they are quite British 
I spent childhood summers in Devon and attended graduate school in Nottingham, but I'm embarrassingly American. My publisher is pretty strict about making sure all terms and words are Americanized, which I do too. I think a passing familiarity with Regency romances or BBC costume dramas is more than sufficient to understand the humor. Like Monty Python, I believe my books are filled with the kind of comedy that crosses cultural boundaries. Farce, sarcasm, and indiscriminate irreverence. Yes. If you like Monty Python, if you like Blackadder, heck if you like Doctor Who, British programming, you'll get Gilcar, I guess. Yeah, yeah, you will. But what I will... Note to that, she says her publisher is pretty strict about making all terms Americanized. Not the British copies. Not the British copies, no. Mm-mm. Because when I was doing my the summary and writing up the quotes um, into Google Docs, Google Docs is an Americanized spelling, and it kept picking it up when I was putting in the British. And normally I would change it, but I didn't because my copy was British. <laughs> Don't worry, when I edited it, I changed everything. I know you did, but I... I, I, I <laughs> if it's a British story, I make sure it isn't British just to really just get it in there. But my copy is the Americanized copy. Yours is the wrong version, <laughs> in my opinion. If it's set in a country, the spelling should be of that country. Excuse me, but the author is embarrassingly American so she may be embarrassingly American but Sophronia and Co are not <laughs> oh it's so fun do you want the other piece of background information mm-hmm sure I've got lots more too if you if we just want to talk for an hour before the episode starts but it's very relevant to the podcast what's well, very relevant all because of it because it's how we <clears throat> met I know so it's the background so information is, if you want to find out the full story about how we met, you need to go and listen to the Gail Carragher interview, the first one. Yes. Because it is Gail Carragher. But... It's her fault. It is her fault. But not the first episode featuring Gail Carragher, which Ooh. was in the Before Times, in the BC Ooh. Times, episode 11 Whoa. of the podcast. Whoa. Ooh, way back in the before times. And that's when we covered all four books in this series in one go, back in the time before we did in-depth summaries. That was, I will say, that was episode an episode. 11 is the reason. Don't listen to the episode unless you really want to. But that is the reason why Don't listen to I found the podcast. <laughs> Don't listen to the I love that. Don't listen to the episode unless you really want to. Hey, I wasn't there. It's not as uh, British. <laughs> yeah, that was really funny. That was a ridiculous episode because, if I recall correctly, Amber didn't know what steampunk was. <laughs> Bless her. If you want to go and listen to the first episode that I ever listened to, go and check out episode 11. (laughs) There you go. But oh my gosh, don't go back that far. Those episodes are dreadful. (laughs) Finding your feet. I think it's what, the first 50, finding your feet? First 50? (laughs) Yeah. No, it doesn't take that long. (laughs) It doesn't take that long. I'm implying that I'm your feet. 
Well, you didn't you didn't start until what fifty four? Prudence was fifty eight. You didn't start until fifty four, I think, because we had fifty two, obviously, because we had one full year, and then I had one episode by myself that Kendara Blake joined in on. Fifty four was Prudence. So that's that's right then, right? Yeah. Wow. And now we're on episode, what, 203? 203. 203. So this is my 199th episode. No, it's not. No, it's not. That's not right. That's not math. That's not math at all. That's a bad amount of math. Yes. It doesn't matter. 149th. I'm going to go Are you yes. counting that one episode, the... Ladies, well, I was a guest. The Ladies' Guide. Are you counting that one? No. So so this is 150. 150. Yeah. Oh. That's special. Oh. Oh. There you go, Patreons. You get wow. my bad maths and wow. some reminiscing. I might just leave it in. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows what's going to happen? In all fairness, it's about 20 minutes of it mostly is that. Edit that out, you. Edit that out, me. Okay, so do you have initial thoughts? I just think everybody knows my thoughts and feelings towards anything done by Miss Gale. And if you don't, where have you been? I agree. I think that's what mine would be, too. Yeah. Because, yeah. I've got a feeling the word same is going to be used a lot. Same. 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 Yes. But my other initial thought is if you don't know our thoughts and feelings about Gail Carriger, go back and listen to our old episodes because we love these and you can see how much I love them all the way back in episode 11. But don't listen to that episode. <laughs> all right. Shall we begin? We shall. Sophronia Angelina Temenik is not one to be deterred from eavesdropping on her mother because of her siblings and household mechanicals roaming the hallways. Her mother is talking to Mrs. Barnacle Goose, a lady with strong opinions on reforming daughters and a stranger. This is not good. Sophronia has no intention of being reformed and desperately wants to know what the ladies are talking about. So she enlists the dumbwaiter in her espionage. The dumbwaiter is resistant to the point of recalcitrance, and despite Sophronia's best efforts, the dumbwaiter falls, and she lands akimbo in the parlor, her skirt torn, and a splattered trifle on Mrs. Barnacle Goose. Poor Mrs. Barnacle Goose. It's a fantastic name, though. <laughs> Mrs. Barnacle Goose flees the scene, leaving Sophronia at the end of a verbal deluge delivered by her older sister, Petunia, who is sure that Mamsie will sign Sophronia over to the servitude of the vampires. Oh no, that's terrible. The vampires will want to suck <laughs> Sophronia's blood and make her dress in the height of fashion. Oh. There's nothing wrong with that, Sophronia. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Frau Britcher, the mechanical butler, enters with instructions for Sophronia to go and see her mother this very moment. Bother. 
Sophronia is taken to her father's library, where Mumsy is sitting with a lady of indeterminable age. The gray in her hair seems off. Her face flashes the picture of youth one second, then is matronly the next. This is Mademoiselle Geraldine, the headmistress of the exclusive Mademoiselle Geraldine's Finishing Academy for Young Ladies of Qualité. Mrs. Temenik is at her wit's end with Sophronia's unladylike behaviors. She reads, she climbs, and she takes machines apart. Gasp! <gasps> Mrs. Temenik is called away to deal with the dumb way to leaving Sophronia alone with Mademoiselle Geraldine. Mademoiselle Geraldine establishes that Sophronia has some unique abilities in a young lady. She has fast reflexes, is fearless, is curious, and she seems to know there is something not quite right about Mademoiselle Geraldine's appearance. At Mrs. Tamnick's reappearance, Mademoiselle Geraldine declares in her thick French accent she will take Sophronia to her academy right now. She will take a short walk around the gardens and give Sophronia just half an hour to pack. With little to no fanfare, Sophronia's belongings are packed and she is off to finishing school. Once inside the well-appointed carriage, Sophronia finds she and Mademoiselle Geraldine aren't the only occupants. The lively and sparkly Dimity and Plumly Tainmont and her younger brother Pilliver are also aboard. While the sullen pillover is destined for Bunsen and Lacroix's boy's polytechnique to disappointingly follow in his father's evil genius footsteps, Demity shall be joining Mademoiselle Geraldine's finishing academy for young ladies of quality with Sophronia. Sorry I didn't say quality. Well done. Some remarks made by the Plumley Tainmont siblings are rather confusing. Things about being a finishing school on the surface, the term covert recruit, and the academy having no fixed address. Suddenly, the carriage jolts to a stop. Hmm. The carriage has been captured by flywaymen, sporting what appears to be an onion pin to their hats. They demand Mademoiselle Geraldine hand over the prototype, but the headmistress, rather thickly in Sophronia's opinion, protests her innocence. What proceeds is a quarter of an hour spent watching as the flywomen toss their belongings, including their unmentionables, (gasps) across the ground. Gasp. In frustration at the lack of results, one of the flywomen pulls Mademoiselle Geraldine out of the carriage. Ooh. Ooh. Sophronia, Dimity, and Pillover watch Mademoiselle Geraldine perform some terrible hysterics. It seems she has abandoned them. Turning out their pockets and finding little useful, Sophronia grabs Pillover's monocle, his depraved lens of crispy magnification, if you will, to burn the rope enough to snap it. Sophronia then takes the driver's seat and reins to make their getaway. The flywaymen only notice her actions and start shooting when it's too late. Because Sophronia is a good person and only Mademoiselle Geraldine and the unconscious driver know where they're going, she turns the carriage around and instructs the Plumley Tainmont siblings to grab Mademoiselle Geraldine. The plan goes off swimmingly. Thankfully, the driver comes to and takes the reins back, leaving Sophronia to clamber back inside the carriage. She finds Timothy in a dead faint on the floor, Mademoiselle Geraldine being hysterical and Pillover quietly reading. 
Dimity fears at the smallest sight of blood and was grazed by a passing shot, sending her out cold. Her smelling salts are back on the road with their unmentionables, so there's nothing to do on that front but leave Dimity passed out. Sophronia is convinced Mademoiselle Geraldine is shamming, probably, so they can't question her. With no better options, Sophronia orders the driver to carry on to Bunsen's. During the journey, Mademoiselle Geraldine breaks character and starts talking without her dreadful French accent. She is not, in actuality, Mademoiselle Geraldine, but instead she is Miss Monique de Pelouse, a senior student at the Academy on her final mission in order to finish. She was to collect the children and the prototype, but it's all gone wrong, and it's not her fault. Eventually, the tirade stops and quiet descends over the carriage as they reach Bunsen's, and Pillover leaves them. Sophronia and the now-awake Dimity are denied entrance on account of them registering as female by the Porter Mechanical. After depositing Pillover, they head on to the wilds of Dartmoor toward Mademoiselle Geraldine's finishing academy for young ladies of quality. A short while later, the ladies reach their destination. Sophronia imagined she would find the school scuttling about Dartmoor on many mechanical legs, since it doesn't have an address. But instead, she finds the most magnificent, if oddly shaped, dirigible floating majestically in the sky. An easy-going gentleman with a silk top hat tied about his head, wearing a long coat and scandalously not wearing <gasps> shoes. <gasps> opens the carriage door and helps them out. This isn't another flyway man, nor even a highway robber. Rather, it is a man called Captain Nile. He declares it too windy for them to travel up to the academy at the moment and that they will need to wait until nightfall. But it is not long before it is suitably dark. Captain Nile disappears for a few moments and a giant wolf returns. Sophronia, having never encountered a werewolf before, takes flight and the wolf gives chase. He doesn't attack and when Sophronia notices he is still wearing his top hat, she comes back to her senses. Captain Nile is a werewolf and he works for the school. Oh! Nice. In his wolf form, Captain Nile leaps to a platform lowered down from the giant dirigible carrying the girls one by one. Monique seems put upon. Dimity squeals the entire time, and Sophronia relishes the thrill. Shortly after, they enter the bowels of the finishing school and meet Professor Beatrice LeFou, Sister Maddie, and Lady Lynette de Limon. Once Monique relays her false version of the journey to the teachers and declines telling them the location of the prototype they are so interested in, Lady Lynette sends Dimity to her room and makes introductions to Sophronia, their covert recruit. Soon, Lady Lynette escorts Sophronia through the corridors of the dirigible to the real Mademoiselle Geraldine's quarters. Ordered to wait outside and not to move, Sophronia fails to eavesdrop, then wanders down the corridor, setting the alarms off on a maid mechanical, causing a very displeased man to emerge from one of the rooms. The man in question is Professor Braithwaite, and he spouts a fair few what-whats until Lady Lynette comes to retrieve Sophronia to meet the headmistress. Mademoiselle Geraldine's suite is like a sweet shop. Sadly, the cakes are fake, as it is a hobby of hers to create realistic delights. 
The meeting goes well, Sophronia deploying discretion and discernment, recommended by Lady Lynette, as it seems Mademoiselle Geraldine has absolutely no clue as to what is really going on at her finishing school. To be fair, neither does Sophronia yet. Mm, yeah, she literally just got there. <laughs> Soon, Lady Lynette is required on deck as Professor Braithwope has spotted something in the sky far away but fast approaching. Flywomen! <gasps> the alarm is sounded and suddenly the squeak deck is swarmed by mechanicals with cannons in their chests. Professor LeFou joins them, announces that Monique has been punted back down to debut status, and asks why the flywomen haven't been shot out of the sky. A lady questions, then she shoots. The flywomen shoot a glob of garlic mash, causing Professor Braithwope to sneeze and wheeze, then send up a request to parlay. The flywomen catapult a mechanical sausage dog across the school. It pops or poops out a printed message, giving three weeks to produce the prototype, or they shall call for reinforcements. Absurd! Disgraceful. Terrible. A plan is hatched involving the creation of a surrogate prototype with the assistance of Bunsen's. With the matter settled for now, Sophronia is taken to her room. Before she goes, she hides the mechanical, christened Bumbersnoot, in her large pinafore pocket. Yay! Yay! Yay, Bumbersnoot! In the debut's room, Sophronia introduces Dimity to Bumbersnoot. Monique is there and challenges Sophronia about having the mechanical sausage dog, but Sophronia suggests a bargain. Monique won't tell anyone about Bumbersnoot, and Sophronia won't tell anyone how Monique has completely fabricated the story of their journey. Sophronia is then introduced to the rest of the debuts, Lady Sedeg Macon, Agatha Woosmas, and Prussia Buss. The girls discuss their teachers and the variety of subjects on their specialized curriculum, and Sophronia concludes this is a finishing school for either intelligencers or assassins, and she quite like being an intelligencer. She also finds out that Professor Braithwope is a vampire, which is obvious when you think about it. Now, off to lessons. On the way to class, Sophronia tells Dimity about the flywomen and that they need to find the prototype Monique has hidden to prove they are better than she is. After class, and to Sophronia's shock, she discovers she rather likes the lessons. This class is about vampires with Professor Braithwarp, which is rudely interrupted by an explosion from Professor LeFou's classroom. Black smoke and soot-covered students lit the corridor, but Sophronia sneaks around them to take a look, standing next to Professor Braithwarp, who quizzes her about her curiosity and observations. He doesn't notice Sophronia rubbing a finger in the soot, which Dimity later suggests they sent a pill over for analysis. Class resumes, and they study the best and most deadly application of wooden stakes, hat pins, and hair sticks, and learn to judge men by their cravats. The ladies attend lessons with Sister Maddie, then Lady Lynette, before retiring back to their rooms, where Sophronia and Dimity find that their luggage has been retrieved. Hooray! <laughs> Those two decide to share a room, as do Agatha and Sidé, and Monique and Prussia. Sophronia is an early riser, unlike her fellow pupils, because she's not used to the decadent London hours, so she decides to go explore the airship and find coal for Bumbersnoot. 
Since she can't go skulking around the corridors where the mechanicals could find her, she uses the outside rope ladders and balconies until she reaches the boiler room. It's a hubbub of activity, with engineers, firemen, and soot-covered boys running around stacked boxes, piles of coal, and ladders. While exploring and pocketing a few pieces of coal, Sophronia meets Phineas B. Crow, otherwise known as Soap! <laughs> we love Soap. Who seems to be the leader of the gang of sooties. He impresses Sophronia with his entrance as he rides a unique contraption down a mountain of coal. Soap isn't impressed that Sophronia isn't up top. But he does seem rather taken with her. They look forward to meeting again, and regularly. Sophronia does have a mechanic mole to feed, after all. Mm, that's Gotta the, look after your bumper snoot. That's the only reason why you would ever go there. Ever. Later, whilst following the mechanical tracks in hopes of finding the steward's office in order to send her sooty glove from the explosion to Pillover at Bunsen's, Sophronia and Dimity find Monique skulking about, so they follow her. She, too, is headed to the steward's office and seems very put out that they are now afloat and it will be another three weeks before they head back to Bunsen's. Annoyed, Monique stomps off, her letter clutched in her hand. Sophronia never thought she would enjoy finishing school, but she really, really does. Every day starts with a light repast, as Mademoiselle Geraldine believes breakfast should not be luxurious. It really is. The list of food is ridiculous and warns the girls to watch their figures. How will you have all of that decadent food? It just blows my mind. Lessons take the usual etiquette and deportment curriculum one would expect from a finishing school and incorporates the fine arts of death, diversion, and modern weaponries with an analytical approach to murder that is fascinating. After two weeks, Sophronia approaches Lady Lynette. She wants to know exactly what they are learning at the school. Lady Lynette tells her they are being taught how to finish anything and anyone who needs finishing. Sophronia also asks her how they knew to recruit her. And Lady Lynette tells her that finding out is part of her training. Ooh. On the third week afloat, the school lowers enough for the students to jump off to the heath for a lesson with Captain Nile, who, Sophronia realizes, is obviously naked under his greatcoat on account of him being a werewolf. Today, they're learning knives. Captain Nile instructs them to find a stick for practice. When Captain Nile goes down the line of students inspecting their chosen weapon, he asks Site if she knows how to use hers. Oh yes, she does. And they spar. Both are very impressive. Captain Nile is obviously stronger and faster, being a supernatural, but Site holds her own. Monique is selected to demonstrate another way of using the stick. She employs advanced eyelash fluttering pleasantries and flirtation, before stabbing Captain Nile in the neck. Dimity faints at the blood, and while she's out, Sophronia finds out from Site that there's a rumor that Monique has a patron amongst the teachers. Sophronia asks Site about her upbringing, following remarks made during their lesson with Captain Nile. Site was raised by werewolves, the King Air Pack, and Lord Macon isn't her father but her grandfather several generations down the line. During their conversation, Bumbersnoot sluggishly waddles in. The mechanimal needs feeding, and the platter of coal Sophronia received from an anonymous benefactor a few days ago is all gone. Time for Sophronia to visit the cities. Yay! When everyone is in bed, Sophronia sneaks out and again clambers and climbs the outside of the ship to avoid the mechanicals. 
The boiler room is still a hive of activity, but there is someone new who greets her upon her entrance through the hatch. An incongruous French nine-year-old boy who actually winks at her. This is Viev. Soap explains Viev is looking to be the next big inventor, hence their interest in Bumbersnoot. And when your aunt is Professor LeFou, there are big footsteps to follow. Suddenly, the perimeter alarm sounds. Sophronia makes an exit through the hatch and moves quickly around the side of the ship, intending to see what is going on. The flywheel in a bank with reinforcements to demand the prototype. The teachers are ready, though, and when the flywomen shoot, nearly hitting Sophronia in her hiding place, Lady Lynette gives the order and Professor Braithwaite points his crossbow up at the flywomen and shoots a small bolt. All the mechanicals swivel and fire at once, their own bolts following Professor Braithwaite's projectile. When the smoke clears, Sophronia sees that the flywomen have taken direct hits and at least two of their dinghies are listing. The flywomen fire back, ripping a hole in the school's middle balloon. Lady Lynette calls a ceasefire and tells the flywomen they will give them the prototype. <gasps> oh, no. oh no! Before breakfast the next day, Sophronia updates Dimity on her escapades the previous night. Professor LeFou fully expects the flywomen to be back as the prototype was a fake, and suggests they take the school up into the grey. Sister Maddie also asked about Bunsen's, which the girls suspect are building a replacement prototype or a better-looking fake. They'll need to head to Bunsen's for repairs anyway. Sidhey interrupts them then. Lady Lynette is in their living room and demanding to speak to Sophronia right away. Sidhey suggests she was seen the night before. Clearly, Sidhey heard their conversation. Sidhey is correct. Lady Lynette was told by a fellow student that Sophronia was seen scrambling about the outside of the ship at night. Whilst this shows her commendable and untapped skills in climbing and night stealth, it can't go unpunished. Sophronia will report to the cook every night for pot cleaning duties, and for being told upon, she will be denied attendance to the upcoming stopover at Swiffle on X, and for being out during lockdown, she will not be allowed off the ship at all. Thank goodness she's not being expelled. Sophronia is convinced Monique was the one to rat on her and confronts her on the way to tea and scones. Monique unsurprisingly and rather unconvincingly denies the accusation. Goodness, she is good. Over the consumption of comestibles, Mademoiselle Geraldine announces the upcoming stopover and that there will be a small troupe performing, much to the general excitement of the pupils. Three nights later, while everyone is looking for the perfect outfit for the excursion, Viev comes to visit Bumbersnoot. Viev is enchanted by Bumbersnoot. He offers to clean and service the mechanical squeaks the following day while everyone is out, which Sophronia gladly accepts. After Viev leaves, Dimity confronts Sophronia for not telling her she had befriended Professor LeFou's niece. Niece? Well, it appears Viev likes to dress as a boy and fraternize with sooties, and Professor LeFou lets her. Viev returns, as promised, the next day to work on Bumba Snoot. Sophronia takes the opportunity to find out what Viev knows about the prototype. Viev is actually a font of information. The prototype is from a new communication device, since the telegraph failed because of the ether, and two were made, one for London and another for Bunsen's. 
It is the Bunsen's prototype that has gone missing, which Sophronia informs Viev Monique took and hid. Ah, that explains why she failed her finishing mission and wasn't permitted to go on the excursion. Ah, she's currently skulking about the teacher's area. Well, there is nothing for it. Sophronia needs to sneak into Bunsen's and take a look at the communication <laughs> machine there. It's a good thing they are friends with the Sooties and Viev has her anti-mechanical mobility and magnetic disruption emission bracelet, or as Soap calls it, the obstructor. <laughs> Rolls off the tongue a lot easier, doesn't it? <laughs> Death. <laughs> Sophronia and Viev manage to recruit Soap in their escapade and exit the ship through a hatch in the engine room to the misty moor below. Far away, somewhere else on the moor, Captain Nile is running around in his werewolf form as it is the full moon. Entering Bunsen's proves to be no problem, and the only human they encounter is Pillover, who joins their misadventure to the roof where the communication transmitter is located. The main mechanical and locked door they encounter prove little obstacle, so they enter a dumbwaiter, but people-sized, which raises them to the device. I'm so glad you have to read the next paragraph, because it's my favorite part of the entire book, I think. <laughs> The device looks like a potting shed with two houses inside. It's very lacklustre to all but Viev, who climbs inside and deduces that the signal must use the ether, creating point-to-point communication. The prototype then must be a sort of valve that facilitates that. With their information gathering complete, they begin to head back to the airship. <laughs> Unfortunately, on the way, Sophronia bumps into a maid, which sets off the alarm. Scandal! There's a girl in the sacred masculine halls of Bunsen's! <gasps> what to do? While they are hiding in a closet, Pillover, being the only one allowed to roam free, which he completely forgets, by the way, is forced to wear one of Sophronia's petticoats <laughs> as a distraction, making people believe there was a false alarm. It works a treat, and they manage to exit Bunsen's without further fuss. <laughs> all you can see is Pillover with the petticoats pulled up to his armpits, going, "Ooh, I'm a girl, I'm a girl." I love so much, especially because it's Pillover, and he's just like the stodgiest, most boring little boy. <laughs> he has to wear a petticoat, but he always does as he's told. He does he does? On the moor, however, is a different problem. On a hill not too far away is a werewolf in a top hat, Captain Nile. The wolf scents the air and begins running toward them, growling. Sophronia, Viev, and Soap run full out to the airship, but the rope ladder isn't lowered until the last possible moment. Sophronia orders Soap and Viev up first, and as she climbs, Captain Nile bites down and viciously mauls her other petticoat. Thankfully, the Sooties pelt Captain Nile with coal to keep him at bay. Despite her disheveled appearance, Sophronia dashes to Professor Braithwope. He must raise the alarm that Captain Nile is on the loose in werewolf form in case he attacks the returning students and teachers. It takes a bit of persuasion to get Professor Braithwope to believe her, but finally he dashes off at supernatural speed to keep the students safe from Captain Nile. When Dimity returns, she regales Sophronia with the story of Professor Braithwaite fighting a werewolf. But there was blood, so she fainted and missed the actual fight. <laughs> Thankfully, Agatha and Monique complete the story. Mademoiselle Geraldine also fainted, so Lady Lynette was able to dispatch some of the older girls to perform the fan and sprinkle manoeuvre. The conversation then turns to Bunsen boys and the sooties. Thankfully, Lady Lynette knocks and the conversation is ended. 
Before Sophronia can turn in for the night, Professor Braithwaite asks to speak to her. They agree that neither saw anything that they shouldn't have when she knocked earlier in the evening. Knowing look of mutual understanding. Yes, he definitely wasn't drinking someone's blood and she definitely wasn't at warming anywhere that she shouldn't have been. Definitely. Sure. For the next three months, the school stays aloft in the gray. With flywomen on constant search for them, it was deemed the best option. However, this stops any external communication, which is particularly vexing to Monique. Sophronia supposes it must be because of the prototype. After speaking to Demetri, Sophronia recalls that Monique took a turn around her family's garden while she was pretending to be Mademoiselle Geraldine and Sophronia was packing for school. She must have hidden the prototype then. It's at Sophronia's house somewhere. <gasps> Sid Hay continues to demonstrate her weapons proficiency, this time with Professor Braithwaite, who has taken over lessons as Captain Lyle can't go into the grey. One day, when Sid Hay is being particularly recalcitrant, Sophronia confronts her about her groupiness because, like it or not, she is stuck there and she is a lady, capital L. Then Sophronia has the idea to include Sid here in her jaunt to the boiler room that night. Sid here absolutely loves it because she can properly roughhouse with the sooties and doesn't have to act like a girl. They even come up with the idea of wearing reinforced boots to help with kicking. Yes, Sid here. You've come up with an accessory. <gasps> oh. Dimity is put out by Sophronia and Sidhe's friendship and jaunts to the boiler room despite her not being able to climb, not liking being dirty, and not wanting to learn how to fight. To compromise, Sophronia suggests that Dimity give her extra training on general ladylike matters. Eventually, Sidhe joins and they become an odd little study group. The group grows to four after an incident between Agatha and Monique. Monique cornered Agatha and made her ugly cry in front of Mademoiselle Geraldine. Monique was being her typical kind self about Agatha's appearance and told her she likely wouldn't be invited back after winter break. If Sophronia and Dimity have any say in it, they'll help their friend and prove Monique wrong. Talking to Dimity about the flywomen attack, Sophronia describes the well-turned-out man in a top hat and funny album pin. And Dimity says he is a pickleman. They are interested in money and power, and their leader is called the Great Chutney. Dimity doesn't really know much more than that. Dimity asks if they should go and speak to the adults, but Sophronia argues that the prototype is likely at her house, and she wants to be the one to sort it out. A rumour is being spread by Monique that Dimity is stepping out with Lord Dingleproops, a Bunsen's boy she was fraternising with when Sophronia, Soap, Viev and Pillover were wearing petticoats and sneaking around Bunsen's. She would never! There's only one thing for it. Revenge. Sophronia proposes that they go after the prototype, but in order to do that, they would have to go to her sister's coming out ball. This cheers Dimity up. Once they have the prototype, they'll need to get it into safe hands. They decide that the person who recruited Sophronia would be best, as the ball will be at the beginning of winter break and the school will be nowhere near them. It's a terrible idea, but the only one they have. The first thing they need to do is break into the school's record room to find out which intelligencers live near Sophronia to determine who recommended her recruitment. 
To do that, they need the obstructor from Viev and some soap. Soap! <laughs> they visit the boiler room to ask Salt for assistance. Unfortunately, it will take too long to teach Sephoria the lockpicking skills to get into the records room, but Soap thinks their plan sounds fun, so he's in. After a week and many arguments about who is to come in the end, it's decided that a small number is best. So Sophronia, Timothy and Soap head into the unknown attic levels of the school, only to find a mechanical soldier stationed outside the conveniently labelled records room. The mechanical fires a sticky net thing at the trio. Soap dives out of the way and is half shielded by Sophronia's petticoat, but Sophronia and Dimity take direct hits. Soap hacks at the net with his knife while Sophronia and Dimity use sewing scissors. Once free, Soap picks the lock and they're in. The room is filled with a giant filing machine with records dangling like laundry high up in the air. Eventually, they find a call machine and work out how to use it. They locate a cluster of relevant records of former pupils from Sophronia's area. One is dead, the second lived in the area for only a short period, and the third is Mrs. Barnacle Goose. <gasps> Staging the room so blame for the mess would fall on someone else, the trio leaves. The next day after breakfast, Monique mentions Petunia's little coming out ball and that she has an invitation to it. What? How? She's figured out a way to get herself invited so she can retrieve the prototype herself. At the beginning of lessons, Lady Lynette mentions the infiltration of the record room and questions the girls, but nobody knows anything concrete and nothing is missing to search for. Later, back in their rooms, Sophronia and Dimity are talking about how it looked as if Sid here would spill the beans about their record room exploits when Sophronia realises that Sid here is a turncourt. She was the one who tattled on her sneaking out, not Monique. Sid here admits she did it to get a black mark on her record because she wants to be kicked out of the school. She has more important stuff to be worried about with her pack. Sid here and Agatha take this as an opportunity to demur from the ball. At the end of the school year, the airship comes out of the grey and lowers to Swiffelon X near Bunsen's. Carriages await their passengers on the green, and the lower deck is a hive of activity as students chatter amongst trunks, hat boxes, and carpet bags. Waiting for Sophronia and Dimity is Roger, her family's stable boy, in a cart. Monique, who will be riding with them, is decidedly unimpressed. Dimity asks if they can also collect Pillover, because it's likely that their mother has forgotten about him due to some evil scheme or other. They find Pillover at the center of a group of pistons. Bunsen boys, who like to wear top hats with a ribbon and random cogs stuck to it, riding boots, sans any horses, and coal smudges on their eyes. Pillover isn't paying their heckles any attention. He has a book to read. He does pay attention when his sister calls out and climbs upon the cart. They have a ball to get to. The ball piques the interest of the pistons. Also interested in their cart is an air dinghy. It seems they have also picked up flywaymen. Oh, darn it. Come on. Flywaymen approach with pistols. This time the ladies are ready. At first, flinging hat boxes at them, Sophronia and Dimity dash around onto the flywoman's dinghy, which has been loosely lashed to their cart. Soon, they are floating away and learning how to operate the craft as they go. 
you get the right of it and catch up to their own cart, which Pillover lashes to them. It turns out to be a very pleasant journey to the Temenik estate, where Sophronia's mother is ordering people about in preparation for the ball. Once opinions regarding bringing an air digging home are expressed, introductions are made, and warnings of flying mermen are dismissed. The ladies get ready in the nursery, Sophronia wearing a hand-me-down gown from her sister from last season, much to Monique's disgust, and Bumbersnoot is turned into a lacy reticule. Pillover joins them properly attired for the evening, and together, he, Sophronia, and Dimity take part in the festivities while keeping one eye on Monique. Whilst observing her quarry, Sophronia notices young men, not of her acquaintance, in attendance. It seems they have been invaded by pistons. One draws her into a quadrille, while another, Dimity's Lord Dingleproofs, tries to spike the punch. Pilver argues with another piston about spiking the punch. At the same time, a pickleman enters the ballroom, and Monique makes her escape on the arm of a dandy gentleman. Dimity is sent to deal with the pickleman, and Sophronia will deal with Monique. Sophronia follows Monique into the garden, where the gentleman, who looked like a dandy, confirms Westminster received her message and asks for the merchandise while pulling out a gun. Who's Westminster? Vampires? Parliament? Without saying a word, Monique reaches into a mechanical birdbath behind her and draws out a package before asking for her payment. Just then, a gentleman wearing a top hat wound with green ribbon approaches and demands the item. The pickleman then blows a whistle, which sets Bumbersnoot wriggling and letting off steam. But this is nothing compared to the huge, man-sized mechanical dog that thrashes through the trees with one clear purpose, to destroy. Dimity pops up from a lilac bush while Pillover is inside dealing with the pistons. Sophronia asks that she and Pillover bring the pistons and a cheese pie Mumsy kept in reserve outside to her. Meanwhile, Monique is unimpressed with the threats she is receiving. Pillover then comes running out of the ball, holding the flask from the earlier punch-spiking kerfuffle with a gaggle of pistons chasing after him. He runs straight at Monique's group, and Dimity pops up with the cheese pie. Sophronia then makes her entrance into the fray, calling out for Monique and begging her to come back to the party before executing a perfect stumble, knocking the dandy's gun from his hand and tearing open Monique's dress, which allows her to replace the prototype she has hidden under there in her reticule with the cheese pie. Meanwhile, Dimity has grabbed the flask and poured it over the giant mechanical, which causes it to spark and catch fire when it starts to move towards Sophronia. Sophronia feeds the prototype to Bumbersnoot as the sparks from the giant mechanical land on the hem of Monique's dress, a lilac bush and a gazebo, making them catch fire. Chaos then ensues. Dimity is lecturing Lord Dingleproops and the Pistons on propriety, and at the same time warning that the gazebo was on fire. Pillova is tussling with the other Pistons. Monique is screaming at the Mechanimal. The Pickleman is trying to put out the flames on the Mechanimal, and the Dandy is now waving his gun about, demanding the prototype from Monique, who doesn't know she is clutching a reticule with a cheese pine to her breast. <laughs> At a, at a word from Sophronia, Dimity and Pillover break free from the fracas and escape to the house. Setting their appearances quickly to rights, they enter the ballroom to look for Mrs. Barnacle Goose. Monique makes an entrance then, completely indecent. Her gown is torn to pieces, her undergarments are burned and singed, and she is spitting mad. 
Behind her are the Dandy and the Pickleman, and hopefully they think that the Pistons are the ones who absconded with the prototype. Monique then throws the cheese pie at Savronia. <laughs> Petunia's coming out ball is declared a resounding success. <gasps> All the antics of the evening came together perfectly. Sophronia meets with a graduate of Mademoiselle Geraldine's Finishing Academy for Young Ladies of Quality, who was sitting quietly in the front parlour watching the comings and goings. Sophronia handed over Bumbersnoot with a warning that he needs to let the item pass through and asks her to make sure it gets into safe hands as a matter of finishing in the other way. Sophronia thanks Mrs Barnacle Goose for recommending her to the Academy before leaving. The rest of the ball is rather anticlimactic. Monique takes over a guest bedroom and leaves early the next day, while Dimity and Pillover spend the winter break with Sophronia's family. Whether anybody really noticed the addition of the Plumley Tainmont siblings amongst the Temenek's extensive brood is anyone's guess. Though Mrs. Temenek noticed a little improvement in her youngest daughter's deportment, she declares that Sophronia still needs more work. Delighted, Sophronia returns to Mademoiselle Geraldine's Finishing Academy for Young Ladies of Quality with the prototype ensconced at Bunsen's and under reproduction, a commendation in her file for unwarranted but well-executed fancy dress operation maneuvers and Bumbersnoot waiting for her in the sitting room. <laughs> tick tock, tick tock, tick tock. Oh, little Bumbersnoot. He's so cute. He is. He's one of my most favorite things that I've ever made. Do you need to go and feed him some coal now? Yes, we do need to get some coal. I need to go by and visit Soap. For maybe more than just the reason of getting the coal. For reasons. Okay. This is the Novel Universe with your hostesses, Dawn and Ashley. We rate and review the newest and most buzzworthy books. We are true book club ladies that don't always agree, but we do enjoy a good book discussion. You can find the Novel Universe on Apple, Spotify, and Google, where we post new episodes twice a month. I'm Dawn, the criticizer of books. And I'm Ashley, the fantasy architect. So grab your favorite beverage and join our universe. Did you feed Bumbersnoot? I, How was Soap? I did. I did feed Bumbersnoot. Soap is fine. He's down there just being handsome. Wonderful. Is Biev there as well? Biev was there. She was Excellent. rolling around on some sort of contraptions, but I don't know what they are. Nobody does. We don't know what they are until later. No. <gasps> Next month, perhaps. Perhaps. <laughs> I love these books. Me too. So much. I mean, can can we actually say the standout moments? I mean, we, we you you were giggling. My the petticoat scene. <laughs> that's that is my favorite. That is my favorite favorite scene. Because Pillover is just so like small and boring and they force him to wear a petticoat and then he just gets out and like does a little dance in front of the, in front of the maid <laughs> while they sneak out and it's wonderful and uh there's 
This is actually one of my favorite final thought quotes too, so I'm going to save it for, for that time. But uh, I really like what Soap says to him during <laughs> during this little interlude. <laughs> but I'm going to save it. I'm going to save it for later. Oh, you, you can tell you're busting to say I know I am, because I just love Soap. I love everything Soap, and I love everything Viev. I just love it so much. It's so ridiculous. Soap is the one character from the from the entire like Paris Law Protectorate series is all of them that everybody's crying out for to have separate the, the novella even just something more. I would take a short story even. I would take something yeah. like Meet Cute. You know, that's just a handful of pages. I would take that for sure. Yeah. But anything. I would love anything with soap. Do you remember when the short, the, the Agatha and um, Pressures and D- Dimity stories were being announced? Mm-hmm. And everyone was like, oh, soap, we're getting soap, we're getting soap. And it's like, yeah, you're not getting soap. No. And there was a collective, oh, but yay. <laughs> I really, I mean, we've talked to Gail Carriger so many times on the show and we know that she loves soap. So I can't imagine that she wouldn't do something Soap is the one story that everybody seems to be crying out for. But I can understand that Miss Gale is wary to tell his story. Not because she can't, but because she wants to tell the right story. Right. Yeah. And, like, what what story would it even be? When would it take place? Because, I mean, Soap is older teenager-ish in this series. And he's mentioned in one of the other ones later on, right? One of the GL character Yes, I don't know which one. Annie will probably know. Um, Yeah. But yes, he is. But he's also sort of hinted at in another story, but not as soap. Right. Like, if if you know, you know. If you know, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But not as a main character, which is also the same as Sophronia. <laughs> Sophronia only gets these four as the main character, and I have just finished last night listening to Reticence. Oh, because I listened. I, I I read and listened to Etiquette and Espionage for this episode because mm-hmm. you got her, got her, mm-hmm. and I was like desperate to jump straight into courtesies and conspiracies but I thought no I can't I need to well finish the summary I did um, and then I also went on to waistcoats and weaponry yes I'll so just do it again I'll just listen again it's, it's not fine and it's if fine. I could I would too so instead I listened to reticence because reticence is one of my favorites as well and it's just the scene the wedding scene in reticence where you have Sid here and Sophronia and uh, Viev sitting having tea and casting judgment on the whole proceedings and other bits and pieces that happen. You're just like remembering them as kids and it's just, you get the warm fuzzies about it. Yeah. Because so now they're nice. like all old ladies. Yeah. Yeah. But it's really kind of nice to go back to the childhood and remember where they first started yeah. I always wonder if Sophronia is kind of classified as uh, Mademoiselle Geraldine's 
finishing academy for young ladies of quality. Like, top graduate. Probably. She's gotta be. She's gotta be for spoiler reasons. In a few episodes. Which we'll have to talk about in great, great detail when we finish this series. Yeah. I love it so much. I love it. In this one. In this one. It's hard to only talk about this one when we know that all of these characters are in the entirety of all of these works. There's three different series and the characters pop up all over the place and a handful of novellas and they're all over the place, all intermixed. I mean, look at what Viev goes on to do in the the the, the, the first series. I know. I know. Wow. I know. Yeah, just as a little nine year old, you're gonna be so much. <laughs> you're gonna do so many great things. <laughs> but it's nice. The, I, this is what I love about the entirety of it. It's so intermingled and it's such a well thought out universe like the order of the brass octopus is mentioned in this one that professor lefou is a, a mem well she's not a member which is an honorary yeah because they don't part let, of it because they don't let girl. ladies join yeah yeah um so it's all these little links in and it's just like yes and it's nice to find out where everything going back to basics going back to the start yeah and i Probably actually, you know what? I'm thinking this is possibly one of my surprises now. I'm thinking about it. Hmm. How long it took Sophronia to work out what Mademoiselle Geraldine's finishing Academy for Young Ladies of Quality was actually doing. You know, it was about three weeks before she went to Lady Lynette and was like, What's going on here? Why am I learning about, you know, how to correctly. The algebra lessons, I'm, I'm learning at the same time as, you know, doing household mathematics on the correct proportions of toxin to antidote. Yes. Yeah, I feel like, you know, I feel like she knew. She obviously knew what was going on, but I think she finally just got to a breaking point where, like, she wanted to make sure this is what she was supposed to be doing because, I mean, this is her first <laughs> foray into finishing school, so... Maybe she's like, am I really supposed to be trying to murder everyone? Because, like, I'm cool with it, but I just want to double check before I actually murder someone. My sister's never mentioned about knife throwing. Yeah. You would think that would have come up in conversation. You'd think it would have. So I imagine that's what was actually going on. She just needed to double check. That's true. You know when you're reading the book and they're talking about all that eyelash fluttering? Yeah. Do you stop and then start, or if you're listening to it, just start trying to flush it, flat your eyebrows? Yes, there's one, there's one moment where they're they're mentioning the eyelash fluttering, and you have to do it a hundred times. And like how my many... eyes get sore doing that. I mean, that was just like twenty or twenty one that I just did, and it just I just can't imagine doing it a hundred times. No, not at all. So, so much eyelash fluttering. You could have a fit doing this. You could. I feel like I might have a seizure soon. My eyes are going cross-eyed sometimes. Ow. A lady does not ow. No. No, indeed. (laughs) I love all the eyelash fluttering. 
I love it. I love all of the weird things that they learn. So many weird and things. And how, how, yes, sometimes they are proper finishing school things. But then also, like, well, yeah, you need to learn how to do your eyelash flutterings so you can distract from, you know, poisoning someone. Poisoned. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the I fact that... It. I'd like to know more about the teachers. Oh, me too. We we know because of the other series is about Professor LeFou. So I'm kind of fine with that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some hint towards what happens to Captain Nile. Yes. In other stories. So again, you know, fine with that. And there's um, a good, good deal of, well, a good hint at what happens with him in book three of this series as well. Yes. Yes, and, and it's the same with Professor Bracewell. Professor Bracewell, well. yeah. But like, but, I I want to know about Sister Maddie. Yes. Why is she is she a sister? She's dressed as a nun all the time. Why? And Lady Lynette is she a lady? Because you know she said she treads the board. She's trod the boards before. Yeah. And she's always painted up dramatically. Yes. She looks like a lady of the night. So, what's going on there? What's going on? And also, Mademoiselle Geraldine, how can you be the headmistress of a school? And well, I suppose, actually, you can be a headmistress of a school and not know what, what's going on in your school. You can. Or, you know what? Maybe you were once a top student yourself. Well, exactly. Imagine Sophronia being the headmistress of Mad- Mademoiselle Sophronia finishing an academy for young ladies of quality. But it wouldn't be quite so French, then. She might affect a French accent for it. It's part of her disguise. That is still one of my most favorite things that I remember about reading this book the, the very first time I read it. Because, of course, I listen to audiobooks all the time, and everyone knows this. But I started listening to it, and I thought, oh my gosh, I can't even get through these first couple of chapters because this French accent is dreadful. It just makes me want to die. So I stopped listening to the audiobook and picked up the actual text, and then I got a couple, like, a few more pages in, and I went, oh, yep, it's fake. That's why it's so bad. And then I immediately went back to the audiobook. <laughs> so now you can listen to the audiobook and be like, ah, lol. I love it. I love it so much. I love how good of a job Moira Quirk does with I adore Moira Quirk as an so audiobook narrator. She does a few different series that I listen to yeah. and she is absolutely spot on. Yeah, she's great. But I just, I really love how bad Monique's French accent was. Because, you know, Sophronia mentions it's like, she's got a really heavy French accent. I don't even really know what she's saying most of the time, but it's because it's fake. And she's doing Sophronia, what are you doing? You are exceedingly English, and I am exceedingly French. I am Mademoiselle Geraldine, and this is my finishing academy for young ladies of quality. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is why I got a really bad mark on my French oral exam. <laughs> and I quote, that is the worst French accent I have ever heard. Thank 
ex-teach. That is really a kind thing for a teacher to say to a student. During the exam, she pressed pause on the recorder. Great! But she pressed pa- she pressed pause quite a bit for us, bless her, because she did actually quite like me. <laughs> um, so do you have any... I mean, I know that you... We both really, really love this book, but do you have any standout moments from this first one? Is there anything, you know, like... I've been trying to deflect answering that question. I know, Because I, I, know. I just absolutely love this story. It's it's chicken soup story as well. It's just feel good because you just root for everybody, even the bad guys to a certain extent, because it's ludicrous. I mean, the Pickleman, for goodness sake. And the leader is the great chutney. I mean, come on. I will admit to have read that bit and be like oh I could really go for a cheese and pickle sandwich Mm, nice and then you got to the cheese pie later on and we're like oh I was listening to that bit at one o'clock in the morning in bed I was like yeah I wouldn't mind a cheese pie about now so that's something for my mother to make for me hint hint (laughs) birthday cheese pies that's what you get instead of a birthday cake you're getting a cheese pie I wouldn't mind a cheese platter. That would be great. And then really nice sharp cheddar and a nice and, bitter coffee. And bitter coffee. Oh, yes. Yes. Love it. No, I just love the quirkiness of this entire book. It's really difficult for me to actually pick out particular bits because it just flows so well that like, we can pick up the pillow over in the petticoat instant because it stands out as a really big like scene in mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. but there's just little things like Viev being this cheeky little at first chap now we know it's a girl um, and she just has zero cares about what people think of her apart from you know that she's a great little inventor yeah. and Soap having all this confidence but I really enjoyed it when because you know what's going to happen when they're um, in the records room and they're trying to find the records and they're saying, so what does yours say? What does yours say? And he's like, uh, and you find out they can't read. I know. That made me so sad again while listening to it. He it does. But so- then you kind of like, well, Sophronia, that's another excuse to go down the boiler room oh. to give Soap some reading lessons. So, you know, you kind of like, it's just those little teasers of little things. It just makes it so sweet. There's things I don't understand about the finishing school like it kind of loosely explains that the mechanicals can genderize based on clothing which is why right. Pillover puts the petticoat on sees the skirts and thinks it's a girl yes um i like the fact that they're all like the same to Stronia. if you like it was viev put on some trousers and you won't have this problem and right. she's like oh, but i'm a lady <laughs> and i like the change seeing Sophronia change from this Complete tomboy, and there is nothing wrong with being a tomboy. Nope. Um, but actually starting to care about fashion and hair. And I think she specifically says, eyelash fluttering. It's just like, yeah, you. it's not because you're changing, it's because you're learning yeah. how actually being feminine um, can be used as a power. Yeah. She's using it as a weapon. Exactly. It's a tool at your disposal. And even just having the petticoats and this, all the skirts, you know, it's the same as um, 
Alexia in the Solar series, she has the parasol with all the pockets. She doesn't have it as a fashion accessory. She uses it as a tool. Yes. And that's what you can do with your skirts. You know, you have pockets and you can hide things in it, like a prototype or a bumper snoot. Yeah. You know, it's 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 these feminine items aren't just fripperies. You know, no. when the talking when Sid here finally goes down to the boiler room, which I, I do love the scenes with Sid here in the boiler room where she's roughhousing and wrestling and knife fighting and playing poker and whatever with all the studies. It's delightful because you're like, finally she can just be herself. Mm. Um and just having these in conversation about being able to fight and soap's like, you need to use your legs. You you aren't t- strong in the arms. We are because we have to shovel coal. Mm-hmm. all day every day but you've got strength in your legs and then like oh, well what was if we had steel on our shoes and then Sophronia's like Siddy you're accessorising <gasps> scandal oh my gosh gasp I'm accessorising so even Siddy starts to come around to the practicalities and the usefulness of it and one of my favourite scenes was probably the handkerchief scene <laughs> so it's it's when Dimity, I didn't really include it that much in the in the summary, but it's when Dimity is ugly crying because Monique's been a bitch, um, and Mademoiselle Geraldine tells everybody to pull out the handkerchief, and they're all sticking the hands down their decolletage to get their hanky. Sid here is like it's in there somewhere because she's just flat chested. It's in there, of course, it's somewhere with a hand halfway down, and Mademoiselle Geraldine's like, oh. <gasps> You do not have to be so scandalous. I mentioned the corsets. Unmentionables. It's just delightful. Like, when did you put it in there? Oh, well, I put it in first so I wouldn't forget it. And like, no, you put it in <laughs> second so it stays up at the top. <laughs> it's like, do you know what it reminded me of when we talked about the pencil test? Oh, the pencil test. The oh. pencil test, except it's the handkerchief test. Like, it if you can is. put your handkerchief in first before putting your corset on, then you can tell that like, you have something of yes. an up top. No, that's me. I'm I'm Sid Hay, hiding things first because I don't have anything to hold them up. Don't have any place to put that handkerchief. To be fair, I'm very surprised I don't have anything down there right now. Oh, it's because I've got pockets today. Mm. I have actual pockets. Yeah, I've got pockets today too. But also I'm wearing a very high neck today, so it would be very difficult for me to get anything out of my negligible décolletage. (laughs) I've been known to go sideways. I was about to say, I can go sideways. have the thumb sticking out and it's like you wear braces yes Claire we, I'm surprised <laughs> that we don't have decolletage shirts yet that shirt's been in our shop for such a long time I'm really surprised that we don't have one well yeah that is true although I feel like mine would need a question mark at the end <laughs> <laughs> mine would need an exclamation point <laughs> yes yes it would Oh, dear me. All right. Um, do we need to talk about our favorite characters? I mean, it'll probably them? be a shorter list to say which ones aren't our favorite characters. Yeah. No. No, no. I mean, even Monique and Pressure, who are a pain in the arse, mm-hmm. are still good characters. They really are. 
it's not really overly said in this one. I mean, it's, I think it's said once that pressure um, just wants to kill her husband. <laughs> yes, <laughs> said several times that she just wants to murder her first husband. Yeah, and it's like, you know what, girl? If you put your mind to it, you can do that. You live your dream. You can. And then and it's really, of... it's really fun later than reading her story. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> like, oh wow, look at what you've done with yourself. <laughs> We haven't had a Monique story, have we? Mm-mm. Interesting. I wonder if there will be one. Feels like there should. It feels like there should. But saying that, it also feels like we need soap. We need everyone's stories. We need Sorry, Miss Gale. Get to it. Write everyone's story. Write <laughs> Bumbersnoot's story. Bumbersnoot, he does. Bumbersnoot does have a story because Bumbersnoot turns up in reticence. Yes, Bumbersnoot goes on many adventures. And is found by the one, the only, Spoo! Spoo! Imagine nine-year-old VF and Spoo! They would be BFFs. Oh my god, the trouble, the hygiene. This, that's like fanfic that I need. I need their adventures. Yeah. That would be a good time. Tales from the Engine Room. Yes. Do you know who else? I mean, obviously, I really like Soap. And I really like Viev. But I also really enjoy Mademoiselle Geraldine. Like, the real and the fake one. Oh, you love me, do you, child? Oh, that is exquisite. You are a lady of quality. Quality. You have quality test in your favorite character. Thank you. I really like all of the professors, actually. And like you said earlier, I want to know more about them. I need yeah. stories about all of them. Yeah. Again, Miss Gale, sorry. How did they end up on the school? Yeah. What were their job interviews like? Yes. Oh my god, imagine if that was their story, the short story was their job interview. That'd be great. That would be so fun. Yeah. I'm, and I, I say this on that. the back of just recently listening to Reticence where Arsenic is interviewed by <gasps> Prue and Core, which was oh, a delightful arsenic. interview. <laughs> so good. Even like uh, Monique's terrible Mademoiselle Geraldine. I did. I really did. But for the horrible French accent. Just because it brings up so many good memories about my first read-through of this series. I love it. It's such a bad French accent. So bad. I like the fact that Sophronia all the way through was like, is she for real? She's shaman. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think this is... wrong. Why is... She looks really young. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just like, why why are you throwing a pillow at me? What is happening right now? The back garden scene was chaos, wasn't it? It was. It really was. chaos. I think I had to go back and re-listen to it a few times. I checked as well. And it... Oh, the the just chaotic things. I checked. It was Dimity and Monique relaying the story of the werewolf attack with okay. Captain Well, I mean, Braithwood. because she was watching anyway. 
she was watching um, because she knows the technique and has to explain what the technique is to the debuts. Yeah. And it was the fan sprinkle where they sprinkle like strong scented perfumes around and use their fans uh, to fan it towards Captain Nile Werewolfform, which discombobulates them and all the girls are in a circle. And you think actually that's really quite a smart way of doing it um, because the, the human... And they're not physically strong girls because muscles in a lady? Oh. <gasps> Scandalous. Oh, my God. Oh, I see. Um, you know, it, it, it's an effective method, which is, again, one of these things that like they're taught at the finishing school. You think, so they're taught perfumes, but then they're taught to always keep perfume for... Reasons. Reasons. It's like, it, it's, it, for all the fact that they're being taught how to be intelligences, primarily... Or assassins, should they want to go down that route. Mm-hmm. It's awfully practical. It is. Especially mentioning the perfumes. Like, they've got it there where they can do the fan and sprinkle. But also, when they get tangled up, when they're going, when they're breaking into the records room, you know, the sticky net stuff, they're having trouble cutting it off with their knives and their scissors. And then... Sophronia's like, oh, well, what if we put a little bit of this perfume oil on? And that gets the goo off. So it's just, it's reasonable. Always carry perfume. Yeah. Every single lesson that they're taught is logical. It makes sense. It's It's murdersome. It's murdersome. (laughs) It's murdersome. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I could go to this finishing school. Me too. Or teach at this finishing school. I don't know Me what I would teach. Too. I don't know what I would teach either. Being ridiculous is what I would teach. It's Lady Lynette. <laughs> I'm not dressing in a habit again. Should we move on to Would You Rather? It's a pretty good segue. Yes. Mm. Would you rather? So we asked on social media, would you rather take your training from Mademoiselle's Finishing Academy for Young Ladies? What did you just say? You didn't say anything just then. I just was trying not to cough because I've just taken a sip of water and it was stuck in my back of my throat. Is it poison? Oh, no. You didn't realise... That during all of the eyelash fluttering earlier, I poisoned your water. Damn it. So we asked on social media. Oh no, she's flashing her eyes at me again. <laughs> we asked on social media. Would you rather take your training from Mademoiselle Geraldine's finishing academy for young ladies of quality and become a spy or an assassin? I like the symmetry of the percentage responses. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Facebook and Twitter were exactly the same. 66% spy, 33% assassin. TikTok was 33% spy and 66% assassin. And Instagram was 29% spy and 71% assassin. Just slightly. Just this much <sighs> off. Yeah, this much off. We have some great comments we do colin on facebook said i'd be a spy i'd prefer not to get my hands dirty and i'd have to have all kinds of sexy adventures Ooh, sexy adventures annie on facebook says spy much like sophronia i'm naturally nosy and like dimity i'm not good with blood 
Brie on Facebook said, Spy, even though I'd be oblivious at it, I couldn't stomach assassination on the regular. <laughs> Infrequently, she's On okay. the regular, yeah, right. <laughs> My aim and subtlety is terrible anyways. Much better at being lurking wallflower and eavesdropping on everyone. So Brie is going to be Agatha. Yes. Nina on Facebook says, Me currently an assassin. I look and sound so genteel and innocent, no one would suspect my nefarious ways. I like to think I'd have some dexterous compunction about who got offed. In my youth, a spy. <laughs> so genteel and innocent. Jennifer <laughs> on Facebook said, mm, Assassin. I'm pretty introverted, truth be told, and I'm like the shittiest pretender ever. So attempting spyhood will get me assassinated pretty quickly. May as well jump the gun to safety and be the first to assassinate. I like it. I like it. Me too. Drew on Facebook said, I would have to say spy. I can't deal with blood and murder. Constance on Facebook, heavy sigh. It's a song. I always feel like somebody's watching me. <laughs> we had some good comments from the library as well <laughs> mostly assassin yes um, someone would like to be an assassin if they can have Sophronia's bracelets um, yes. I like the one who said you get paid more you and get it's freelance paid more. yes yes um, also, the assassins can get the job done and leave, and a spy has to stick around the assignment longer. So, get it done, get paid, get out. I like that. Reasonable. <laughs> it's reasonable. <laughs> so, what are you doing? I honestly do not know. I do not know. I've been rudely, wrongly thinking about this one, and I don't know. Um... Because these comments are excellent because they, they've kind of encompassed a lot of where my thinking has gone. Mm-hmm. Like spies, and we know from Agatha particularly and mm-hmm. Dimity's stories that being a spy is a long-term commitment. You, yeah. know, you might be having to go undercover for weeks, months, years. Yeah. You can get lost. Yeah. <laughs> um, and if you're caught... Well, if you're written off. Right. And, that, well, to be fair, if you're being caught as an assassin, you're going to be written off as well. Yeah. Um, but I think being a spy is actually going to be hard work because there's a lot more organisation to it. There's a lot more, like knowing people's patterns and behaviours. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you have to be more observant to be a spy. Yeah, and I do enjoy people watching. And for all the fact I talk a lot, I do listen. <laughs> it's my cover. It's also a nervous thing. I get, you know, the introvert in me is cringing and crying on the inside and then the mouth just starts going. It doesn't want to, but it, it just... It's a defense mechanism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's word vomit. Yeah, yeah. I feel like if I'm the one being ridiculous in the room, then it'll put other people's at ease as well. Like, right. oh, well, yeah. she's she's the idiot, so I won't sound quite so stupid next to her. Um, 
But I have a terrible feeling I could be an assassin and not be bothered by moral compunction. Yeah. So I'm going to go with assassin. Everybody knows that I'm going with assassin. There's no there's no question that I'm going to be an assassin in, given the opportunity. Because yeah. villain. Because murder. Yeah. Because evil. Yeah. And you pay me enough money, I'm not going to ask you why. It's not my job. No. No. You're paying and I feel like, for a service. Yeah. And deliver that service. Yeah. And I feel like if you if you are a spy, there's a longer time period for you to get attached to the person that you're spying on. But then like well what do you have to do at the end of it? Do you have to turn them in and they're gonna get, you know, in trouble? Something bad's gonna happen. Whereas if you're an assassin you can just sneak up and, you know, garrot and then done and that's the end. Yeah. And you just flutter off into the background. That's what I'm gonna do. Yeah, I think you're built for a, a. You're 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 built for doing either as well because of you know cosplay lends itself to disguise. Sure. So you're used to you know, you, you you can see the movie. You're walking off and then you rip the blue wig off, and then you're a blonde. But then you yeah. go through airport security. You whip the blonde wig off and you're a brunette. You know right. that's gonna happen. Yes, I'm wearing multiple wigs at all times. Yes, because you have them in a box, yeah. exploding yeah. everywhere. Yeah. And that's before you even change career paths. Right. Plus, you know, you can keep you can do hobbies and stuff, you know? You know yeah. how we said last week? We can't be good at sports because we have the podcast. Right, but you know what? yes. In between jobs, as you're traveling to all these exotic countries to go and, you know, do the wet work, you have time to summarize the book. Right, it's true. So, you know, you can maintain a hobby at the same time. Right, yes. We can continue hosting Fictional Hangover and be assassins. Yes. So that's the only reason why we would both choose to be an assassin, because of Fictional Hangover. Yes. And for legal reasons... That's my excuse. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, quickly, move on. Would you rather share a room with Dimity, Agatha, or Sidhe? Oh. Do you know what? Sorry, Dimity. I'm going to have to drop you. you. I mean, my room is cluttered. My house is cluttered. It needs a good tidy. But I have a feeling you're a million times worse. It'd be too much. Mm. I'm going to go with Agatha. Because I feel like Agatha would be a calming presence after Mm. a hard day, eyelash fluttering. Right. You know, after some knife fighting with Captain Niall or some vampire staking with Mm. Professor Braithup. I'm going to want to just chill. Yeah. So she wouldn't mind if I was just sitting there reading a book. Yeah, she's very quiet too. She's not going to bother you. She's not going to bother you with being frivolous. No. I think she would be uh, quite a compassionate and caring roommate. She's going to, yes. this is her half of the room. That's your half of the room. Yeah. She's going to respect that. Yeah. 
Um, I think that I am going to go with Dimity for the costumes and the sparkles and the ridiculousness and the fripperies. Because we can play dress up. Yes. And while I would appreciate rooming with Agatha as well for the solitude and like quietness of it, um, I think... I think I would first go with Dimity and then Agatha and finally Sidhe because I feel like, I mean, Agatha mentions that Sidhe's side of the room is always a mess. And I honestly, I feel like she would probably like smell bad, you know, because she doesn't want to go and take baths like a lady. (gasps) So I feel like she'd be a little smelly. (laughs) But then you could also borrow her pants. So... True. I feel like Sid here would be a really loud snorer. Oh, probably. Yeah, yeah. I think I think you're probably right about that one. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Dimity, and we're gonna play dress up. Okay, I'm gonna go with Agatha, and we're gonna read, and Sid here can go and play um, wrestling games with the cities. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sorted. 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 <laughs> would you rather attend? <laughs> Bunsen's and the Crows, Boys Polytechnic, or Mademoiselle Geraldine's Finishing Academy for Young Ladies of Quality. This is a difficult question, mostly because we don't know all of what goes on at Bunsen's. We don't know everything that they're learning. We don't know everything that they're doing at Bunsen's. But we do know pretty much everything that happens at Mademoiselle Geraldine's. So I think... I think that's what I'm going to go with. Also, like, I feel like at Mademoiselle Geraldine's, I can be more ridiculous. Whereas at Bunsen's, I feel like I would have to be more studious. And yeah, yeah, I could sneak around and, you know join the pistons and put on too much eyeliner and do all that stuff but i don't know i feel like i feel like i would fit in better at mademoiselle geraldine's yeah bunsen's is but you you you're training to become an evil genius right so it's going to be a lot of science and maths yeah i feel like and as well, as much as i enjoy science and maths as theoretical subjects you know if somebody is interested in those subjects and wants to talk to me about it then I will listen heck I am technically a STEM person I work in sciences I don't want to be going to that school to learning to be an evil genius inventor personage I want to embrace ridiculousness I, I like the diversity of Mademoiselle Geraldine's Finishing Academy for Young Ladies of Quality's curriculum. I think yeah. it's more practical. It's more... I'm more likely to be able to take it out into the world and not... I don't have to become an intelligencer or an assassin, but it's setting me up for life. Yes, I agree. I the diversity of the curriculum is much more appealing. I wouldn't mind using some of the inventions that come out of Bunsen's, though. No, well, that's why you become friends with the Bunsen boys. Yeah, you know you you don't go to the school, and we didn't cover it. But the girls from the finishing school are encouraged to make the boys of Bunsen's fall in love with them to give them gadgets, and to yes. use the Bunsen boys for practice. Yeah, and it is pointed out. Well, what was if 
you take it too far and one of the, you you you're getting evil geniuses to fall in love with you ones if when their attachments are spurned what happens then and it's kind of like mm. oh well it's fine yeah but is it <laughs> so you want to be friends with benefits <laughs> well friends until better options come across but knowingly yeah okay. you know open contracted right yes <laughs> would you rather have lessons with lady lynette sister maddie professor lafou professor braithwope captain nile or mademoiselle geraldine Possibly not Professor LeFou for reasons of Bunsen's. I think sure. She, she's, she's the closest to to them. Yes. You don't want to get exploded. No. Which will happen frequently in her class. Mm. Captain Nile is more the physical fighting aspect. Mm-hmm. Professor Braithwarp is fashion and vampires. Yes. Lady Lynette is theatrics, mm-hmm. and Sister Matty is household, and also and poison yeah, and poison. And Mademoiselle Geraldine is probably just basic decorum conversation. Right. I have a oh, I'm leaning towards. I can't decide between Lady Lynette and Mademoiselle Geraldine. Mm. See, I figured you would go Professor Braithwaite what, with the vampires and all. Well, yes, but... Fashion and vampires. <laughs> I'm not the most fashionable of people. He would have to teach me a lot. Um, I don't know. I think, I think... I would like Lady Lynette because of the theatrics yes. and, you know, the... Trying to... The integration of the normal and natural into your intelligentsia ways. But mm-hmm. I also kind of like the Mademoiselle Geraldine knows absolutely freaking nothing about what's going on at the school. But it's kind of like that poking and prodding and that hinting, but without actually giving away the game. I kind of like yeah. that. I think that's yeah. a bit fun. Yeah. And I also think Mademoiselle Geraldine is completely ridiculous. And I yes. like that too. Yes. So I can't decide between Lady Lynette and Mademoiselle Geraldine. Well, you can have both because we're the lords and masters of lords our own universe. Lords and masters of all we survey. Yes, I'm going to. I'm going to have a double lesson with Lady Lynette and Mademoiselle Geraldine. I'm going to go to Lady Lynette's, get the lesson from her, and take that lesson and practice it straight away on Mademoiselle Geraldine. Yes, over tea. yes, that sounds great. I am also going to have a double lesson, but I'm going to go with Lady Lynette for the theatrics, of course. Yes. Paired with Professor Braithwaite. On account of the vampires. Yeah. Also, we didn't mention it in the summary, but I really love his mustache and the descriptions of it, especially as this series progresses. (laughs) His mustache seems to have a mind of its own. Yeah. Yeah. So. There's part of me that's like, is it real? (laughs) <laughs> also, I just like his what, 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 
Say what on jet? What, what? Yeah. Captain I just like... Kyle is a werewolf, but he's going to attack the students. What, what? What, what? What, what? What do you mean? Yeah, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go. I'm going to go with Professor Braithwope and Lady Lynette. Nice. Last question. Last question? Would you rather be hit by a trifle or a cheese pie? <laughs> <laughs> We've got to get one violent one in. I think I'm going to go with a trifle. I feel like a cheese pie would need to be warm. And I feel like a trifle would be, it would be more comfortable to be hit by a trifle than it would be to be hit by a cheese pie. It's a little, I feel like it's a little fluffier. Probably a little easier to remove. Oh, no, I wouldn't say that. No, Not if it's the trifle that I'm thinking of. Hmm. But still, I think it would be more comfortable to be hit by a trifle than a cheese pie. It's certainly softer. Because, like, is the cheese pie, like, in a dish? Is it in a pie tin? Probably not. Well, that's good. They'll, they'll be served as, like, um, like, appet- like hors d'oeuvre kind of cheese pie. It'd be, like, two-bite kind of cheese pies, I imagine. Yeah, but if you're, if you're concealing the switch of the prototype with the cheese pie, it's probably the whole thing. Also, because it was, like, pilfered from the kitchen that... Your mumsy had hidden away so she could eat it later. I feel like it would be a big, a, a larger amount of cheese pie. I don't think it's going to be a plate pie. You see, the, 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 the trifle in my mind, if it's anything like the trifle that comes to my mind, is custard and jelly, jello, jello, jelly, um, cream, and sometimes uh, like ladyfinger sponges. Yeah, see, all of that will be softer to be hit with. So, of course, that's what I'm going to go with. But it would also be harder to remove because of its liquidy nature. It's not just going to like shake off like you could with a cheese pie, which would be mm. crumbs. Mm. Um, you're going to have to scrape it off and it could stain. Oh, um, yeah. The reason I think with cheese pie, I don't think it's going to be like a dinner plate sized cheese pie. Okay. Which would be sliced up. If it's a whole cheese pie and it's at a party, it's going to be small. Like an like, individual pie. Yes. Yes. So a one person and it's going to be like an hors d'oeuvre like, or an appetizer size where there's two to three bites. Um, and it depends on the pastry because if they use a, a short crust pastry, that's going to be a little harder, a bit firmer, which I feel like that's probably what they've gone with than a puff pastry. Mm. And I would prefer the puff. Yeah. But you can have everyone them cold. would prefer puff pastry. Yeah, cheese pies cold's really nice. Like if you're going for a picnic, really nice to have. So I'm th- I'm going to go with cheese pie because one, it's cheese. Cheese, yes. It's cheese. Two, yes. The initial impact is going to be painful. It's like ow, what the hell? But it's one and done. But then you could just pick it up and eat it. Then I can just pick it up and eat it, and it's just brushing the crumbs off. So that's why I'm going to yeah. okay. okay. Because not only am I getting hit with it, I have a snack. That's true. Yeah. I don't know if that scene, <laughs> which always tickles me, the way that Dimity just pops up out of a bush and says, Hello! Hello <laughs> Sparkles here! Here you are! She's like, can you fetch me a cheese pie? I don't know if it's funnier that she used the cheese pie 
as the decoy or if she was like thank you my dear i was getting rather famished and just started eating the cheese pie because one of mumsies that's got put off to one side for her to eat later but i do appreciate yeah. the fact that monique in her unmentionables and burnt unmentionables looking a fright comes into the ballroom and just yes. lops it at Sophronia. I do appreciate that scene as well. <laughs> it's very embarrassing for Monique, though. I feel like Monique is not very good at her job. She's not very good at her studies. I mean, she's already been knocked down to debut status. And she, like, didn't pick up anything the second time around either. Like, come on, Monique. Try a little harder. I think Monique is a one-trip pony. Yeah. She relies on her looks and her eyelash fluttering to get her close enough to the target mm-hmm. before she stabs him in the yeah. neck. That's all she's got you know, going for. Exactly. I don't think her theatrics, I don't think she's a good necessary liar. I don't think she's got the ingenuity. Nah. She wants to just be a kept woman, really. She just wants to think, marry I rich th- and spend the money. I think that's true. Yeah. Bloody, Bloody Monique. All right. Bloody. Favorite final thought quote? <sighs> Page Do you have one. a million? I have a million of them, and I didn't even put all of them down. I, I I had twenty eight at one point. <laughs> I don't have that many. I think I started trying to just stick them into the the, the text itself, so I could. Uh, get around it okay let's go for a dimity one first i should okay. dearly love to be dark brooding it's so romantic and fortune teller like i love more quirks dimity brooding it's like she's got too much spit in I her really mouth i really love to be dark brooding dark. it's dark so and romantic brooding. and fortune teller like yes <laughs> don't know, oh, I don't know where Dimity's lisp came from in the audiobook, but I do appreciate it. I love it. It's fine. Which I now need to listen to the short to see if she keeps the lisp. I don't think she does. Probably not, because it's a different narrator. True. Okay. <laughs> what else do you have? Well, we've got to go with this one. I should never have thought there was, would be a time when I would envy the girl's eyelash manipulation. <laughs> Insert 20 minutes of eyelash fluttering. <laughs> That's your headliner. <laughs> Nothing pretty... is more distressing to a vampire than a stain. <gasps> <gasps> Some of the most disagreeable people I know are the most ladylike. Mmm. Now, if finishing school is full of cakes, I could certainly grow to love it. Mmm. Oh, where was the one I... Uh, I'm trying to remember the one I made me giggle, but I can't see it. Oh, <laughs> Sophronia straightened her spine, prepared to be educated. <laughs> Perfect. I'm going to stop there, because I could probably... How often have I warned you against fraternising with technology? <laughs> oh, I've been overburdened by strange occurrences at the moment. Very good. 
I'm going to stop there. Sure you are. You've already said that once. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he boasted an unassuming mustache, which was perched atop his upper lip cautiously, as though it were slightly embarrassed to be there and would like to slide away and become a sideburn or something more fashionable. <laughs> <laughs> I do not giggle without purpose. If there is gossip to be garnered, garner it. If there are new dress styles to be imitated, imitate them. If there are hearts to be broken, break them. I love that accent. Thank you. Quality. No one knew why the beautiful Miss Palouse had stripped rolled about in the garden, and then chucked a cheese pie at the youngest Temenek girl before being taken away in floods of tears, but it was surely the highlight of a most enjoyable evening. And then finally, <laughs> Pilver in the petticoats. You could say you were running some experiment dangerous to your nether regions, suggested Viev. You could say you were testing the response time of the maid mechanicals, suggested Sophronia. You could say you like ladies' undergarments, suggested Soap. <laughs> <laughs> oh, delightful. That's it. That's all I'm sharing. Hmm. If you liked this, try this. I feel like I know what we're going to do. I'm going to recommend... Soulless, the parasol protector book for <laughs> character. I was right! <laughs> I do not promise that we won't, or at least I won't recommend Gail Carragher ones in the future Gail Carragher episodes. <laughs> I, I, I can't guarantee that. The summary of Goodreads. Alexa Tarabotti is labouring under a great many social tribulations. First... She has no soul. Second, she's a spinster whose father is both Italian and dead. Third, she was rudely attacked by a vampire, breaking all standards of social etiquette. Where to go from there? From bad to worse, apparently, for Alexia accidentally kills the vampire and then the appalling Lord Macon, loud, messy, gorgeous, wound werewolf, is sent by Queen Victoria to investigate. With unexpected vampires appearing and expected vampires disappearing, everyone seems to believe Alexa is responsible. Can she figure out what is actually happening to London's high society? Will her soulless ability to negate supernatural powers prove useful or just plain embarrassing? Finally, who is the real enemy and do they have trickle tart? <laughs> Relatable freaking <laughs> love, love this series, which we haven't actually covered. I know we're gonna have not, to do it. It's not a YA, but we don't always do YA now. We don't we are predominantly always do YA. YA. We are, but we have to move other ways sometimes. We do. I mean, just last week we did Into the Mist, well, which exactly. is an adult book. And I was making a list of all my pre-order books that I've got out, and one of them is J. Christoph's Empire of the Vampire Illuminated Edition. That is not 
a YA no, book. That is not that is not a children's book, as we learned from the background info for that episode. The amount of times, though, I'll go into the YA section of the bookstore and I'll pick up a book and go, "Oh, this is interesting." For example, I was in there and I picked up Anna, dressed in blood. And the first line it says on, this is not for children. I was like, this is in the wrong section. But the main <laughs> characters are teenagers, so that's why it's it, it It is. It made me giggle. I was like, I, <laughs> I like to pick up the books of the authors I've spoken to and read the backs and go, I know them. I know. I know them. <sighs> yeah. Anywho, what have you got to recommend? Oh, I'm obviously going to suggest Prudence. <laughs> Custard Protocol, <laughs> book one. Bye, Gail Carriger. Shocking no one. <laughs> when Prudence Alessandra Macon Akeldama, Rue to her friends, is given an unexpected dirigible, she does what any sensible female would under similar circumstances. Names it the Spotted Custard and floats to India in pursuit of the perfect cup of tea. But India has more than just tea on offer. Rue stumbles upon a plot involving local dissidents, a kidnapped brigadier's wife, and some awfully familiar Scottish werewolves. Faced with a dire crisis and an embarrassing lack of bloomers, what else is a young lady of good breeding to do but turn metanatural and find out everyone's secrets, even thousand-year-old fuzzy ones? I love it so much. It's so good. Do we have an indie spotlight that is hashtag tenuous link? We do. We do have an indie spotlight that is hashtag tenuous link. Um, it's we can discuss the tenuousness of it after the fact. And also, like we mentioned earlier, how we don't always read YA and we tend to lean one way or another every now and then, this one is a middle grade book. But we just got it this week and it's coming out soon. So this hey. one is perfect. It's called Jiu-Jitsu Girl by Jennifer Dutton. And hopefully you can figure out why I selected to share this one. Angie Larson hates jujitsu. Like many 12-year-old girls, she fails to find the glamour in a martial art that embraces zero personal space and choking as an end goal. Seriously, people choke her, drip sweat on her face, and even wrap their legs around her neck. It's the worst. Instead, she idolizes the seemingly perfect kids at her school who do normal activities like dance or soccer. But just when it seems like Angie is about to be accepted by them, her mom enrolls her in a jiu-jitsu tournament and begins a relationship with the sweatiest coach on the planet. And to make things more complicated, Angie develops a close friendship with a boy who is definitely not part of the cool crowd. Angie must decide who she is while making some painful decisions both on and off the mat. Is she a dance girl? A soccer girl? A nothing girl? Or a jiu-jitsu girl? So doesn't it just sound exactly like what happens in finishing school without the, you know, dirigible. Victorian nature of it? <laughs> without the dirigible yes. and the terrible French accents. Yes. It's like the realistic version. Well, realistic Amanda of quality. <sighs> that sounds like a hashtag tenuous link that I can get behind. <laughs> You know, I'm oh, really. That's so funny. I'm really glad that brings us to the end of this episode of Fictional Hangover. Exactly, my girl. 
I'm Professor Amanda of Quality. <laughs> this is Bumbersnoot. I'm Mademoiselle Claire of Quality. Now remember, <laughs> a separated egg is worth two in the bush. <laughs> I'm glad you included that extra quote. Join us next time as we discuss White Smoke by Tiffany D. Jackson and featuring Tamara from the Shelf Addiction podcast, which you might have heard me on one of her episodes, so go back and find that one too. Look out for our Would You Rather polls on social media. Don't forget about our book club and monthly challenges on Facebook. Be sure to visit our shop on Redbubble at fictionalhangover.redbubble.com for all your favorite fictional hangover-themed merchandise, and become a patron of ours on Patreon at patreon.com slash fictionalhangover. Until next time, remember, the only cure for a fictional hangover is another book of quality. Of quality. <laughs> <laughs> You can find us at fictionalhangover.com. Follow us on Instagram at fictionalhangover. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash fictionalhangover. And on Twitter at fictionalhangover, no ER. If you'd like this episode, check out our others, a rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss out. And finally, special thanks to Liz Emerson for our music. You can find her on Facebook and Patreon. Thanks for listening. <laughs>